The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with James Anderson. New intro song for this season, Lion Kings from New Day Music, N-E-U-D-A-E Music on Twitter. Give them a follow. Give them some downloads as well. We're talking AL West this week. James's latest piece is uh, AL West. 76 prospects you need to know. We're not going to cover all 76 on this pod because that would be a little unnecessary, but they're all written up 
for you on the site, rotowire.com slash pod. If you're not already a subscriber, you can get a free 10-day trial. Uh, James, let's kick things off with the Houston Astros. And I think there's one similarity right now with the, the systems in this division in that there's not a ton of top-end talent. There's depth in a couple cases, and uh, Houston's certainly one of those, but we don't have perennial all-star type prospects at the top of the list up and down the organization. I would say that even kind of holds true right now with the Astros, depending on how you feel about Kyle Tucker. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the potential to make a few all-star teams, but like he's, you know, the, the ceiling is probably like Hunter Pence or this version of Christian Yelich we've seen already. So it's, it's, it's cool. It's a it's a nice profile, but he's he's probably a couple years away. Like he's he's a guy that I said was like a long shot. Like if everything goes right, he might actually surprise people and and reach the majors this year. But he's going to start the year at high A, so everything would really have to go right. I mean, he's got a really innate uh, bat to ball ability. Uh, doesn't wear batting gloves, which is always a bit of a crowd pleaser. Uh, <laughs> he's he's got like twenty twenty five steel. Uh, speed right now but it's probably gonna trend down to maybe 10 15 steel speed in his like mid-20s so there's only gonna be a a short window where he's gonna be a five tool or a five category contributor yeah i think the thing that works against him as far as making the debut sooner than expected is that the astros added some help in the outfield carlos beltran's gonna dh so you have reddick and Wright. springers of course a fixture in center and they've got nori aoki they've got uh, Tasker Hernandez, who I, I think is kind of a nice sleeper, by the way. He's not like a, a great prospect at this point because he spent some time, actually a significant amount of time, on the big league roster uh, last season. So there's probably at least a full season before Tucker's really in the mix. Now, uh, the next few prospects on the list in Houston, they're all right-handed pitchers. Forrest Whitley, uh, Francis Martes, and Franklin Perez. Uh, Whitley and Perez are both going to be 19 as of opening day. Uh, Martez is only 21. He'll be likely on the roster at AAA Fresno. Uh, starting with the the older of the three prospects in, in Martez, I mean, he seems like he's at least a lock to be an excellent reliever, but do you see him developing the third pitch necessary to become a consistent starter? I think my, my stance on Martez is, is probably one of my more controversial like me being down on a guy stances uh i think a lot a lot of people have him as like a top 20 prospect a lot of people have him as like at least like a top 30 or top 40 prospect i have him ranked 60th overall i just i i don't see a starter i i mean i've heard like johnny cueto comps i don't see that at all like i, I don't see the command like being close to that he's got a uh, big fastball a uh, big curveball I mean the changeup is some people like say they've seen it like look good at times. I I've seen him just his command is just sometimes it's just really bad. I I don't know. I I, I see a reliever, but that ranking is kind of more. I see a reliever, but people are going to treat him like a starter for now. Like a lot of people like single season owners think he's a sleeper this year because he's close to the majors and the the Astros kind of have a fluid rotation. I just I don't see him being an effective single season guy this year. I, I think maybe there's a chance he develops that third pitch and can hone in on his command given his age. He's only 21, but uh, I see just a really dominant, like Delon Batances type of reliever. Yeah, that would be a, a good piece for the Astros as they kind of look here at the next couple of seasons, especially. 
Uh, I mean, part of the appeal probably for those who believe in Martes as a starter is that you had Dallas Keuchel miss time with a shoulder injury. Uh, Lance McCullers had arm trouble last year. Charlie Morton has had all sorts of trouble staying healthy. So if you look at those three guys all as injury risks and any pitcher is an injury risk anyway, you know, there could be several spots open in this rotation at some point. They do have decent depth with guys like, you know, Joe Musgrove and Chris Davinsky probably taking on uh, those first couple of opportunities, but uh, there is a path for Martes to at least remain a starter maybe this year just because of need and then maybe an adjustment is made after the season depending on how things turn out. Uh, as far as Whitley goes, I believe he was their first-round pick last summer. Uh, he's going to probably start the year in the Midwest League. You've got him ranked ahead of Martes. What type of long-term ceiling are you looking at for Forrest Whitley? Like, I'm really high on Whitley. I'm a lot higher on him than than certain places, and I see like a potential ace. Like I, I think after Jason Groom, I think he's my favorite pitcher from last year's draft class. He's got the size. He's he's six seven, two forty, like just big Texan. Like you know, cuts all the like you know Kershaw, Syndergaard, all those types of guys. Like he he kind of cuts like a similar figure on the mound. He has the big big fastball. Uh, gets a great playing on it. It's it's a really hard pitch to hit, and the curveball and the slider are both weapons already and he's developing a changeup. i mean that's like a rare that's a really rare uh pitch mix to have as a 19 year old where like you already have two very quality breaking balls that that's that's rarely the case uh i think i think this is a guy that could just just break out in a big way this year and I, i'm pretty aggressive on him and then finally franklin perez uh you right he's a little under the radar last season because of the power arms the astros have uh i mean is he actually a starter long term in your mind? I think so. He's he's probably got the best command right now of Martes uh, and Whitley and himself. Like he he's he's got the command. He's got the size. He's got the potential for three plus pitches. He's he's a little under the radar just because it's he's only got like sixty innings or so in in a full season league, and he kind of gets overshadowed by guys like Martes and Whitley and David Paulino and and guy like Joe Musgrove who graduated from the prospect ranks last year but uh, I, I'm more confident in Perez as a starter than I am with Martes. Derek Fisher the only other Astros prospect in the top 100 he's at 74 right now he's going to start the year at AAA seems like the kind of guy that's just blocked in Houston and is going to be used as trade bait at some point as the Astros look to bolster this roster for a postseason run. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you if you remember, he was in that uh, that deal that sent Mark Appel to the Phillies, and the Phillies ended up switching out uh, Fisher for Appel at the last minute. So, like, they're, they're totally willing to include him in a trade to upgrade. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like, he's, he's a pretty solid candidate to get moved at this year's trade deadline. Uh his 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 time window just doesn't really line up with where the Astros are right now. Like they're ready to compete. They don't really need young position players that are gonna have to like take some bumps. So I, I see him getting moved to like a non contender this year. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Maybe some bullpen help or something along those lines, perhaps uh, part of the piece that gets them one more starter if injuries do strike this year. Uh, as far as the guys outside the top five, I know Garrett Stubbs is a player you like more than most. Uh, he's a little bit undersized for a catcher, but it seems like the bat is going to play as he continues to advance. Yeah, I I just love he, he's five ten, so like there there just aren't many people that are going to project him to be a, a full time catcher. 
and you don't really need to be a full-time catcher like to be one of the top 10 fantasy catchers you just need to catch 110 120 games like that's totally doable i think i think people are kind of overselling uh it, it's sort of an antiquated idea that you need to just be this big burly like matt weeders type i mean garrett stubbs has there, there are some cases to be made i think Eno saris has made uh has has written an article uh kind of showcasing how smaller catchers are better framers because they it, it's just you know it's kind of a where where you can put the glove uh, you kind of maybe lower to the ground right so yeah. you can steal more low strikes right exactly uh and Stubbs can do that he's got a really really good rapport with pitchers he's just he's one of those guys when he's when he's on the field He's you know he's talking to the umpire, he's talking to the third base coach, first base coach. Like he he just he he's got the exact intangibles you look for at that position. I think this this is the this is a great time to buy in because there there is a lot of doubt right now. Everyone's aware of him. There's a lot of doubt because of the size, and it's just not going to cost much to to scoop him up really in any format. Now, is there any other player in this system lower than a guy like Stubbs, you know, outside the top 200 overall that you kind of like as a, a stash with the hope that with one big year they could vault up this list over the course of the next season? Uh, Freddie Nova is a is a J2 signing from last year. He's He's got some tools. Uh, Gilberto Celestino's an interesting guy. He's got a really good approach. He's a really good athlete, but th- those guys are both – way down i i just i'll just bring up david paulino i mean he's he's a lot higher on a lot of lists and i just i i'm convinced that he's a reliever like i might be wrong i i thought um lance mccullers was a reliever so i mean there's definitely a chance i'm wrong on on paulino but he just every time i watch him pitch the curveball is just so obvious when he's about to throw it like there's no deception there at all the fastball is not it's easy to square up it's it's 93 95 like right where the batter wants it I, I just don't really see a starter at all here so that that's a guy that i would be trying to sell if i had him right now all right so let's shift the focus over to the angels who have exactly four prospects that you need to know we could actually cover <laughs> them all pretty quickly uh, but jemai jones is in the top 100 and at this point the angels no longer have the worst season in baseball and jemai jones is a big part of the reason why yeah he's like just Jemai Jones is better than the Diamondbacks' entire system. It's it's probably it's probably close to better than the Marlins' entire system. He's uh he's probably a better real life prospect than fantasy prospect too, which is kind of the weird thing. Like he's uh, an up the middle center fielder, uh, has all the tools. Like he could, he could be a twenty twenty guy. Uh, just so far away that that's the problem. He's he's going to go to low A this year. Could have gotten a bit more aggressive with the rank. I, I really like the player. It's just you're, you're going to be waiting four years probably. Uh, Matt Tice, a guy they drafted, I believe, out of college out of Virginia, if I remember correctly. But they moved him from catcher to first base. And so far, it's actually gone pretty well. It's just that you got to hit a ton as a first base prospect to remain on the radar. We need another year to know if he's actually going to be worth the weight in Dynasty Leagues, right? I mean, what, what type of power do you want out of a first base like what type of power ceiling do you need from a first base prospect to be interested because he might only have 20 to 25 homer power like 25 
as a ceiling, if that's the low end, if, if, if you're looking at a ceiling and saying 25 is the minimum and 30 is the most likely, I'm on that prospect. If 25 is the max, he's got to hit like 315 to be actually worth holding on to for multiple years. And that's that's totally possible with him. He's a hit over power first baseman, which is not a profile I'm all that big of a fan of, but people love the hit tool. So maybe he, maybe he does hit 310, 315 in a few seasons. And if he gets there while Trout's still there, maybe he gets to hit behind him or in front of him. Maybe he gets to drive in a lot of runs. Who knows? I mean, th- th- there's a reason he's ranked outside the top 100. If, if, he, if he had 30, 35 homer power, he would be 50 spots higher on this list. And then you've got uh, Brandon Marsh and Alex Meyer, two guys outside the top 300. Meyer is just kind of a long shot to be useful as a starter. Brandon Marsh, at least, if you're in like a 20-team league where everybody has 20 prospects, might be worth the flyer because it sounds like he's got interesting tools. He's just very far away. Right. He's... He's not a bad bad dart to throw. The the it's a nice buying opportunity because he had a back injury that uh, prevented him from playing at all after getting drafted. So anyone that's just kind of looking at these guys' stats is going to not be able to find any stats on Brandon Marsh. So he's he's kind of mysterious in that regard. So if he if he gets off to a hot start uh, this summer, I could see him really soaring up this list. Yeah, so that covers the Angels. Took about four minutes to get through those four guys. Uh, the A's have a, a pretty deep group of players that are on the radar, but then it's a short list of guys that you really like as high ceiling players. Uh, at the top, of course, is Franklin Barreto. He's going to play short or second base long term. I think it's a little unclear as to where exactly he's going to settle in. But you know, what type of of profile are we talking about from him as a fantasy player? Can he be? Francisco Lindor as a fantasy player or is even that perhaps a bar that's too high I mean I I think he's going to move off second base so that already or I think he's going to move from shortstop to second base so that already kind of distinguishes himself from Francisco Lindor the glove is not even comparable but uh could be a similar output in terms of counting stats at least I mean 12 15 homers 20 30 steals maybe Every, everyone's in love with the hit tool so as long as he hits everything's going to be fine like this this ranking might even seem low at, at 41 overall but uh i don't know I, I i see i see a little bit of uh bust potential with him he's you know the the fact that he's already moving off shortstop uh he he he's a pretty aggressive hitter i i could see him kind of getting exposed a little bit at the big league level but the, the power and the speed make him worth worth rostering most formats. Yeah, I mean, I think by the end of the season, he's their guy at second base. Yes. That, that seems pretty clear as far as what the A's currently have, and it's a just a cast of characters <laughs> rotating through as the options at the Keystone right now. Uh, the next several prospects, next four out of their top five, all pitchers, uh, three righties and a lefty, Jarrell Cotton could be in the rotation on opening day. Uh, the question is, in year one, at least his first full season as a member of the A's rotation, do you trust him in redraft leagues? I think he's going to produce a lot like Brandon Finnegan did last year for the Reds. I, I think he's just like a number four starter, kind of right out the gate, which he, he might be getting drafted a bit more higher than that. I mean, some people are looking at the the strikeout rates in the minors, uh, the the changeup is is an amazing pitch, but at five foot eleven, he's he's got some home run issues. 
and I just don't see him getting to you know 170 innings. So I, I see kind of you know back back of your draft just kind of filling some innings type of fodder. Yeah, the kind of guy that you have to uh, make sure you have a replacement ready when he gets shut down because of workload restrictions or skipped, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, AJ Puck just outside the top 100 right now at 115 overall. It seems like the kind of guy that has the potential to vault up the list quickly, though, because he was, uh, I think, the top college pitcher on everybody's board in the draft last summer. He's 6'7", though, and a 6'7 lefty in particular seems like there's going to be uh, the potential for a longer development than you'd expect for a college arm. Right. He, The fact that he was the top college pitcher in last year's draft really isn't saying a lot at all, and there are a handful of high school arms I'd take ahead of him. There are actually probably a handful of high school arms that might beat him to the majors from that class. So a lot of risk here, but anyone that anyone that throws ninety seven from the left side and has a has a solid breaking ball is is worth keeping an eye on. Grant Holmes, Frankie Monis, the other starters in the A's uh, top five right now. Holmes ranks quite a bit higher than Montes on your list. Montes is a guy I think we're going to see at some point in twenty seventeen. <laughs> the question is role. Are the A's going to give him an opportunity? to start every fifth day or are they going to finally just look at him and say you know what he can be a really nice reliever he's got the big fastball he's got the slider and, and maybe he's the guy that actually ends up closing in what looks like a pretty ugly committee right now i think considering they're the a's that they're gonna debut debut him as a starter just because what's the point in pushing a guy to the bullpen if you're not contending uh this is his fourth team which is always kind of scary when you're talking about a 24 year old pitching prospect <laughs> that many teams have given up on a guy that can throw 100 miles an hour. Uh, I think he's a reliever for sure, long term. But he could be a top ten closer. He's got he's got the two pitches to be dominant in that role. And then you look at guys like Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Renato Nunez, all familiar names, but to me they all seem kind of the same at this point, and all of them seem like risks in that they <laughs> might not become regulars. They may all be bench players at the big league level. Yeah, before. Uh, who did the A's sign? I'm trying to think the they corner proof. outfielder. They 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 signed a a platoon guy. Um Oh they Matt Joyce. Yeah. Before they signed Matt Joyce, I thought Matt Olson had a chance to be kind of sneaky in single season leagues this year. Uh but he's he's blocked. <laughs> I mean, he's not gonna the bat really doesn't play at first base not that yonder alonzo's bat plays at first base either but uh oh. it's it's this is just we get to this point in this system and they have just a loaded triple a lineup <laughs> and that's not good like that's not a that's not a uh thing that i'm looking for in a good system when when a lot of your best prospects are at triple a and there's a lot of doubt as to whether they're going to be big league starters or just quadruple a guys or relievers like it's just there's not there's not a lot I like about this system. Yeah, you look further down and there's really nobody else that I think stands out. I don't even know if there's a, a dart that I would take near the bottom of the list with the hope that they could be significantly more valuable a year from now or even at mid season. You know, sometimes I do target the toolsy players that aren't ranked as high because they have that high mm. reward potential if things start to click for them over the first half of the season. Uh, Let's move on to the Seattle organization. And uh, Kyle Lewis is their top-ranked prospect. You've got him at 28 overall, likely going to the Midwest League, probably not going to be there for very long. He should move through the system reasonably quickly. Uh, What's the timetable for Kyle Lewis to get to the big leagues, and what type of player do you expect him to be once he gets there? 
Well, the fact that he suffered that catastrophic knee injury last year is probably going to prevent him from uh, cruising to the majors, I guess. He's probably going to debut this year in in July. It would probably be the best guess, maybe August, if if he gets a setback or two. But this is a middle-of-the-order 35 homer type of bat. It's it's an exciting profile. He's got the most realistic in-game power from last year's draft class. The injury might open up a buying opportunity, but I'm really not seeing him going at a discount in most drafts. So if you like him, you, you have to be pretty aggressive. Now the Mariners have two other prospects in the top 50 overall, Dan Volgabosch and Tyler O'Neill. Volgabosch should be in a platoon, probably with Danny Valencia at first base. And he, the numbers, I mean, in the minors have been pretty impressive. On the big side of a platoon, is he going to be productive enough for you know 14-team mixed league owners to care? You know, I, I just don't think this is his year. I think it's going to be kind of him getting his feet wet against big league pitching. The platoon really doesn't help. I mean, he's a guy that you're hoping develops 25, 30 homer power. The the on-base skills are, are really elite. But I, I think you're going to give him this year to kind of get his feet wet. And then once he moves into a, a full-time role, maybe next year, that's when he can be uh, a big contributor in, in mixed leagues. In, in AL onlys, he's going to be fine. Like the, the, there's there's always a spot for a guy like that in an AL only, but in 14 teamers, you know, there's just he he's not getting drafted that high. Like he he's going way behind Josh Bell, which you know you're not paying much for him. But I just I think if, if you're getting aggressive based on the fact that he's a prospect and that they just traded for him, I, I think you could be uh, underwhelmed. It's just so weird to me that he gets traded to the American League and is still being asked to play first base. That that's the whole the whole knock on him his entire life as a prospect is like, well, he can't play first base, so wait till he gets traded to the wait till he gets traded to the American League and he's still being asked to play first base. I still think at times there are people who who underestimate the difficulty of playing first base, but I think when we look at a guy as, as young as as Vogelbosch is and we say he can't do it. We rule out the possibility of, I don't know, weight loss, maybe mild agility gains. I know those things aren't something you typically project for anybody as they age, but it's not out of the question. It's not like it's not like Dan Vogelbosch yeah, doing P90X, dropping 15 pounds, and getting developing better hands at first base is just this out-of-the-question sort of thing. So it, I'd, I'm glad they're at least giving him a shot at it because at it, it, it 24, you don't want to be a DH-only guy. Like That's just a terrible terrible play to be positioned uh tyler o'neill top 50 prospect for you i would imagine that means you like him enough to uh, see him as a, a regular at some point yeah <laughs> man that's a he's, loaded he's risky that's, though. that's a loaded question yeah he I, he's got so much power he's so strong he's so close to the majors but last year's the only year that his strikeout rate was like under control they're they're there were some years over 30% uh, on the strikeout rate before that. I, I could see a platoon. I could see him being on the strong side of platoon. It's it's just a lot of power. He's really close. I mean, it's not it's not a super deep uh, prospect class this year. I guess to me it's 50-50 whether he's an everyday guy. The last player I want to ask you about in the Seattle system is Mitch Hanniger. Uh, looks like he's going to be starting in right field this year. It seems like the kind of player that 
maybe doesn't have any standout tools, but does everything well enough to where he could surprise and maybe exceed expectations. He is already 26 years old. Do you think he keeps that job or at least the bulk of the playing time in right field this season for the Mariners? That's another tough question. Uh, I would say I, I would take the under on 500 plate appearances. So take that for what it's worth. It's going to be a really interesting test case, though, because you have people that don't look at prospects all that closely and kind of look at what what did this guy do in the, in the upper levels are seeing a lot of stuff they like in Mitch Hanniger, but a lot of people that study prospects are seeing a 26-year-old who uh, at times has had strikeout issues, at times has been only successful when he's been well well above the average age at a level. I, I just It's going to be very interesting. I think there's going to be one faction of people that are going to be very wrong about Mitch Hanniger. Is there anybody else in this system, again, with that no. long-term <laughs> take them and hope that things start to click at a low the, level? The potential? only guy that, like, is interesting is is Thiago Vieira, who's a Brazilian reliever, throws 104. We could see him in the big leagues in short order if he gets his command straightened out. He could be a, a closer if anything happens with Edwin Diaz, but uh, there, it's just it's this is a boring system as well. Let's move on to Texas. Uh, things are different in Texas because they made some big trades last summer, of course, that depleted their system. Uh, the guy at the top right now, Leody Tavares, a player that kind of fits the description of what I keep pushing at as we move through each organization, uh, a lower-ranked prospect who had pretty clear tools, and if you wait long enough, you could get a nice payoff. And, and the, the simple, simple way that I go about it is if you take a player like that and he jumps from 180 to 40 on the overall prospect list over the course of a year, I might not be waiting for him two or three more seasons to get to the big leagues. I might just flip him this season as opposed to having, you know, to take a, a guy like that in the first or second round of a reserve draft because he went undrafted the year before. So it's really just maximizing the value of what you're going to get in a return more so than saying, I'm going to wait four or five years for a player like this. As Tavares goes, what kind of tools are we looking at here? And, and are we still probably three to four seasons away from seeing him in Texas? He's got, you know, elite up the middle tools, plus hitter, plus runner, really good defender. He's going to post a lot of high war seasons. The The metrics are going to love his defense. They're going to love uh, everything he brings to the plate as a hitter. It's it's uncertain what kind of power he's going to develop, but even if it's only 10, 15 homer power, this is a guy that could go in the top 50 in his peak seasons. I think it's maybe a three-year wait. I think he might be kind of on that Victor Robles type of trajectory where there there might be one year in there where he splits time between a couple levels. But uh, yeah, three years, three years away, potential five-tool guy, a lot to love. Sounds like exactly the kind of player that can get me something I need in staff keeper two. I was gonna say you like you basically described exactly what you did in staff keeper league two. I mean, taking Tavares last year before he even reached a full season league was was a you know a nice kind of home run type of play, and that one really paid off. Yeah, sometimes it works in a way where the guy is so bad that he repeats a rookie level right. for a year or two, and you have to cut him. So it doesn't come without downside, but. When it hits, it, it tends to be uh, a nice piece to have for future seasons. Uh, Yoander Mendez is the next highest-ranked prospect at 121. The Rangers have one player 
in the top 100. And I think you have to go back quite a while mm-hmm. to find a situation where they entered a season uh, positioned like this. But again, it's, it's from all the moves they've made. They've moved a lot of young talent uh, to get pieces for the big league roster. And every time I look at the Rangers, I, I always try to read through all the profiles in the Baseball America handbook to find guys like Tavares because they always seem to have those international free agent signings that you know aren't highly regarded right now but are going to break through later. Uh, I think Mendez is one of those guys that also had a lot of projectability a few years ago and is just now putting it all together. Yeah, anyone that rostered Mendez a while back is is going to reap the rewards, whether, whether it be via trade or just kind of deploying him as a mid-rotation type of guy. He was the six-five guy that everyone always projects to add velocity, and he actually did last year. He, he bumped his fastball up to 93-94 from the left side. He's got uh, quality secondaries to go with that. But I, I still think the ceiling is kind of capped here. So if someone in your league looks at his age and the fact that he's left-handed and, and sees maybe like a future number two starter, you might want to cash in. I also think the Rangers, by the moves they've made this year, it's pretty clear that they're not banking on him making you know more than 10, 12 starts. So uh, even in single-season leagues, I'd, I'd pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, they do have quite a bit of rotation depth now. With, uh, all the tweaks, we'll see if it holds up for them physically because they've had some injury woes as many, many teams have in the rotation over the last couple of years now. Uh, looking through the rest of their list, do they have a handful or even one or two guys that you like as possible risers over the next year? Yeah, if you just want to target uh, upside, Anderson Tejeda is is a nice guy. Uh, I have him ranked 153 overall. Probably sticks at either shortstop or second base. Hit eight homers in just 23 games last year in the Northwest League. Uh, favorable hitting conditions, but still really intriguing power for for an up the middle guy. Alex Spees, who who was there actually their second pick last year. Ton of velocity, uh, big slider. Doesn't really know where it's going just yet, but if he if he straightens out his command, he's he's six four. Lot to like there. Uh, one guy that that I think is really interesting. Not maybe not an upside guy to to kind of fit with your your question, but Josh Morgan is getting transitioned to catcher this year uh maybe not on a full-time basis but they're they're going to give him a handful of starts behind the dish he's not all that interesting if he stays at third base or second base but he has a a really good hit tool he's got a really good approach if he if he can figure out a way to be a a a passable catcher i mean he, he could be a top 10 fantasy catcher i mean that that's how low the bar is at that position right now i mean i think of like austin barnes as a player that maybe isn't like a prototypical catcher but was developed as one he played a little bit of second base i think in the marlin system he's with the dodgers right now is that more or less what the rangers are probably trying to do with josh morgan yeah i think it's it's kind of in vogue to when you have a hitter who is just really good at hitting for average but maybe doesn't offer the power you expect from even a even a position like second base today you're expecting 20 homer power if the guy's not a, a wizard defensively and a lot of teams are kind of transitioning those guys if, if they if they have good uh, athleticism if they're agile they're they're giving them a shot behind the dish so i think that's a, a trend you kind of can see going forward here all right well be sure to check out james's article 76 prospects you need to know from the al west there are several we didn't talk about and i bet you can find a gem or two that we uh, certainly uh, didn't cover in this particular pod 
Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Uh, I'm back with Todd this weekend for an episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Pod. Have a great weekend. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.